You know, we make decisions and base our life upon what we think is possible, right? The, the possibilities. We see the cause and effect of, of, of our world, and that helps us decide how to live, what decisions to make. So, for instance, uh, babies, right? Everyone loves a baby. Put that baby picture up there. Yeah, see? Ah, see? Communication 101 says, show a picture of a baby, everyone will smile and be, like, more open to whatever you say. Um, well, babies, when they're learning about the world, they'll, for instance, they'll keep doing the same thing over and over again. So they'll keep pushing, for instance, uh, the pieces of fruit off the high chair. Will it fall every single time? Will my mom pick it up every single time? <laughs> They're figuring these things out, learning what is possible in the world. Babies also start to realize that things ex don't cease to exist just because they can't see them. So that's called object permanence, right? Where a baby realizes, wait, mom, she hasn't ceased to exist. She's just in another room. Babies learn this, learn this object permanence. And that's how, as we grow, we learn what's possible, and then we base our decisions on those things. So another illustration, uh, kids in that busy bag that you got, if you could pull out uh, your six-sided dice, all right? We put a six-sided dice, put that up on the screen, the six-sided dice in every single one of your bags, okay? And we're a Baptist church, so we're not gonna gamble or take any wagers or anything like that. It's nothing like that. All right, so. I want you in your mind to, kids, to, to guess what number you're going to roll, okay? So try to guess and imagine, all right, what number do I think I'm going to roll? And go ahead and roll your die wherever you can on the chair or the floor, okay? All right. Did anyone roll the, the, the number they thought they were going to roll? Anyone? Okay, we got one. All right, now, let's raise your hand if you guessed you were going to roll a one or a two. Okay, did anyone guess they were going to roll a three or a four? Okay, did anyone guess they were going to roll a five or a six? Okay, did anyone guess they were going to roll a seven or above? <laughs> no, did anyone guess they were going to roll a 17? No, well, try it again. Roll that, everyone roll their dice again. And did anyone get a 17? <laughs> right, there's, it's, there's no possible, right, there's no possibility, right? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly, it's, it's, it's true, so that we learn possibilities. And so I, I show this illustration because we make choices, decisions, based on what we think is possible. And so you kids, you're all old enough to know, all right, six-sided die, there's only six possibilities. So what do we make of Easter? Why I say this is that when Easter, that's today, we celebrate Jesus rising from the dead. But that's impossible. That's humanly impossible. From all that we observe, it's impossible for someone to be dead, 
all right, to die on a Friday night, but then to rise from the dead on Sunday. If we ask some of our medical professionals here, like, hey, if someone dies on Friday night, they get no medical care, their heart is stopped, can they come back to life on Sunday? And they'll say no. But yet, that's what we're celebrating today. We're celebrating something that's supposed to be impossible has become possible. That's why Easter, it is our like Super Bowl for Christians. This is the day that we're so excited and so happy. That's actually why we meet on Sundays instead of Saturdays, which our Jewish forebearers did, because Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday. So it's like when God is involved, so just human existence, plain human existence, we only have those six possibilities. But when God is involved, we have so many more possibilities. It's like having a 20-sided die, right? Put that up there. Many of you might say, oh, look, you can roll a 17 when you got a 20-sided die. <laughs> now, other than Dungeons and Dragon nerds, you might not have known that the 20-sided die exists, but it does. And that's what I want us to realize. That's what Easter Sunday shouts loud, that because God is involved, there are more possibilities than what's humanly possible. That our world that is so small that we think can only be engaged with our five senses is so much bigger than we thought. So the Gospels, the Gospels are those four books in the New Testament that talk about Jesus' life and death. Um, they tell us that, you know, it was even difficult for Jesus' first followers to believe that Jesus rose from the dead because, again, from their human experience, they, when, when people die, they stay dead. Now, certainly Jesus had done many miracles to expand their idea of what is possible, so some people who were born blind, Jesus touched them, and then they could see. That, that's impossible, but yet Jesus made it possible. Some people who were paralyzed, um, they were able to walk. So the disciples understood that, well, Jesus, he's, he opens up more possibilities, but they couldn't get past their lived-out experience of seeing Jesus, who they, who they believed was the Messiah, the promised one. They saw him dead hanging from a tree, from the cross. And from their lived experience, the natural world that they observed was that when you defeat something, you defeat it by raw power. And they, so might makes right. So they assumed if Jesus is our savior and he's bringing in God's kingdom, God's kingdom is more powerful and he's gonna defeat the Romans. He's gonna defeat all the earthly empires. And so when they saw the Romans crucifying their savior, everything in their experience, everything in their six-sided dice world told them, oh, I guess it's over. I guess the Romans are more powerful than our savior. And so they had trouble believing that Jesus had risen from the dead. Without Jesus, when they saw Jesus dead, their possibilities shrank. They were back to living as if life was just six-sided, a six-sided dice. So on the first Easter morning, the 11 male disciples, anyways, they had trouble believing that Jesus really rose from the dead. Because the first people that went to the tomb, 
they were Jesus' women followers, like Mary Magdalene. They go to the tomb, and they find that it's empty. And they're surprised. And then actually Mary Magdalene sees Jesus had, has risen from the dead. And she goes and tells the male disciples. And they go and they see the empty tomb. And so, but they have trouble believing. In fact, we hear that they still lock themselves up. They're still hiding in a room because, yes, Mary said that she saw the risen Jesus. Yes, they confirmed that the tomb was empty, but... I mean, this is impossible. Jesus rising from the dead is impossible. So they didn't know what to believe. They, they had trouble believing it at first. And so we pick up the story in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 19, says this. On the evening of that day, so the evening of, of Easter, okay, the, all the, the male disciples, on the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, they, they were afraid that, okay, they killed Jesus, now they're going to come after us. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So he appears. Again, they had, the, the male disciples hadn't seen him yet. And, and he shows them his hands and his side because he knew that they would have trouble believing. They might even think, well, is this a ghost? Or is this Jesus' twin brother we didn't know about? You know, because dead people don't live. But he showed them the, the wounds in his hands so that they could confirm that the same person they saw dead hanging on the cross is now before them in the flesh. He has indeed risen. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So when, when they met the risen Jesus, all their doubts about what Mary Magdalene had said and all this, they, they, their, their doubts fled. Now they believed. They met the risen Lord, so new possibilities were open to them. They weren't limited to the six-sided dice in their life that said, no, if someone's dead, they stay dead. That, uh, that because Jesus was on the cross, that means the Romans defeated him. No, there's more possibilities. The disciples had a new purpose and a new power in their life, and it opened up. All sorts of things and change their lives. Their lives would never be the same. First of all, they have a new purpose. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I send you. He is sending them. He's saying, you know, I told people that they could enter God's kingdom, that I was making a way for them, even if they didn't think it was possible. No, it is possible because of what I'm doing. I want you to go share that message. And so they went to share the message. And they'll have a new power. He says, breathe, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God. And so now they will be going with God's presence. So even though Jesus, he died, he rose from the dead, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, but they're not going to be alone. They'll have the Spirit of God helping them, and their lives would never be the same. The world would never be the same. But there was one of the disciples who actually wasn't with them. So there was the 10 male disciples that were left, but one wasn't with them. His name was Thomas. Verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. 
But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. See, Thomas didn't believe Mary when Mary said, I've seen the Lord. And now Thomas doesn't believe his 10 uh, uh, friends that they've seen the Lord. See, Thomas, he's dealing with just the six-sided dice of living where I am only going to accept the possibilities that I can verify with my five senses. I won't believe it unless I can verify it, if I can touch, if I can see. Instead of seeing this whole new world of possibilities open to him, he stuck with what he had observed most of his life, and that is dead, stay dead. That the impossible in human terms stays impossible. Maybe there's a little outbreak, but now pretty much if it's impossible, it'll always be impossible. Thomas's world was limited by what he could see or touch. But then, eight days later, we read verse 28. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. It's interesting, Thomas, he could deny what other people saw, what other people touched with their eyes, but he couldn't deny what he saw, what he touched himself. And we learn an important lesson here because Thomas, he almost missed out on the most important divine intervention in his life, but also the most important divine intervention in the world because he was limited to only those things that he could see and touch. But then when he does see that Jesus is alive, that these possibilities are open, what does he proclaim? He says, my Lord and my God. That's the, the, the high point of John's gospel when Thomas sees and believes but his reliance on his own senses almost caused him to miss out on it. But after he does proclaim that, then this small band of disciples goes from hiding in a room to changing the world. Because now they, they have a new purpose, they have a new power, and new possibilities in their life. And they go and they change the world. So that Thomas ends up going and uh, starting the church in what's modern-day India. So what's the application here? Is that Thomas almost missed out because he limited himself to the five possibilities of his five senses, okay? So now, uh, adults or kids too, you know, what are our five senses, all right? There's sight, right? There's hearing, there's touch, like there's taste and smell, right? Those are our five senses. And so Thomas, we could almost say, he didn't have a six-sided die, he almost had like a five-sided die is that the only things he would believe was that, oh, can I verify it with my five senses? Problem is, is that the universe is so much bigger than you or me. Universe is so much bigger than what we can interact with through our senses and through our small window of life. 
I mean, even if God gives us 100 years of life, that is so small. That's such a small piece of history. And yet, we think, all right, I can only believe it if I can interact with it in my, with my senses. Many people have trouble believing that Jesus rose. They say, well, we just have these words from John and Matthew and whatever from long ago. And John wrote this down when he was an old man, so maybe he didn't remember things right. We come up with all sorts of reasons, like Thomas, to only have faith in our five senses. Speaking of five cents, um, kids, go into your bag. There's one more thing in your, in your bag that I want you to fish out. It's a nickel, okay? Now, I know we don't use coins too much anymore, but this is what's called a nickel. It's a five-cent piece, right? See what I did there? Five cents, five cent, yep. All right. Now, on the... And, notice, and who's on the nickel? Thomas Jefferson. So Thomas, and we got Thomas. We've got all sorts of connections. But on the side that has Thomas, Thomas Jefferson's head, it has the year that your nickel was made. Okay? Would somebody who, I mean, I know it's small print. Could someone read their nickel and tell us what date is on it? Go, go ahead. Is that Luca? Luca. 1861? <laughs> Take, take another look, because I think, it, because I'm like, oh, man, I just gave him a really valuable, a valuable nickel. <laughs> uh, 1985, okay. 1976. Nice. 1980. 1980. 1970. 1971. Very nice. So 19, let's pick 1971. So now, um, do you remember anything from 1971, Catherine? Right, you, you, right. The, the, 1971, that was probably before you were born, right? 1971 was before most of you were born. It was before I was born. Wow. So, but, so it's before many of us were born, not all of us, but there's some important things that happened in 1971. Does anyone, okay, I, don't, I know people don't like to give their ages out, but can anyone remember an important event in your life from 1971? Okay, Greta. Oh, go ahead, graduation what? Graduation from high school. So you remember, so Greta, you kind of remember um, that day, you sort of remember your friends from that day, some of the things that happened, right? Good, it was a milestone, good. Good, married, graduated from college, milestones. Roy? I broke 80 at the orchard. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yes. Very nice. Uh, Gail? The Pirates won the World Series. Well, you remember that. That's impressive. Um, engagement. You had a baby, right. My mom's here. She had a baby in 1970. Well, not me, my older brother. <laughs> Friend? 
discharged from the service. Good, good. So the point is, so and kids, but also adults, that we can remember important events in our life from 50 years ago if we're alive. So the thing is, is just because, um, you know, I wasn't at Greta's graduation, <laughs> right? But it still happened. And in fact, there is no way through my five senses that I can prove that Greta really graduated from that. I mean, I can sure I can go back and look at some records, but through my, uh, like, it happened already. It's in the past. You see, our, our world, our, our, what God's, what's possible with that is so much bigger than just what we can engage with our senses. And I want you to remember that with that nickel. Because the nickel, yeah, it was made before you were born, but many things happened before you were born. Jesus was alive, Jesus was alive yeah, 2,000 years ago. And so it, it's kind of like that dice, the dice that we gave you. But further, that if we limit ourselves to just our five senses, we can't even account for recent history. All right? The, 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 these things that we've been talking about, there's no way to verify those through our five senses. And so as we seek for alternative uh, reasons or, or, or whatever that Jesus, well, you know, it's impossible to rise from the dead because I'm dealing with a six-sided. So we try to figure out, all right, there's got to be some natural explanation. And so we say, oh, well, you know, John, he wrote like 2,000 years ago, and that's true. But he only wrote around 50 years after the event. So I think if... John saw and met Jesus, who he had seen die, but he had now seen them alive. I think he would remember that. I, I mean, if, if Mark can remember who won the World Series in 1971, <laughs> 50 years ago, I think that we can remember, people can remember these events. And in fact, that's why John said he wrote this. He says that I wrote this down because I realized that this Event is so much bigger than me. This event is world-changing. It opens up so many possibilities that I want people to know about it. So in, in verse 30, right after we, we, read, we read about Thomas, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John is saying, I'm writing this so that you would believe and have that life that Jesus gave. And is it so far-fetched to think that the creator of all the universe broke into human history so that the natural laws being bent was actually evidence that God was in it? Because, yes, most of the time, right, we live by observation, right, these are the possibilities but when those possibilities are overthrown, it shows that, wait, there's bigger possibilities, that God is involved here. In fact, that, the, the impossibility of the resurrection in human power, that's kind of the whole point. That's why John wrote it, so that it proves that Jesus is who he said he is. It proves that he has authority over death, and that if we are looking for life that transcend, that's bigger than death, we find it in him. That he's not like a religious teacher who died and, oh, he's got some nice teachings from long ago. He lives and continues to give life to all of those who would believe. And the reverberations of that event 
2,000 years ago have changed human history. And so that many in this 2,000 year sense have believed and found new life in Jesus' name. So it's not just an interesting story. It's, it's life. It's an offer of life. Now, I know there's many here that would say, okay, I, I hear you and all this, but still, let, let me be frank that I, I, I want to be like Thomas and I want to encounter the living Jesus like Thomas did. Then I'll believe. Well, the good news is that you can still encounter Jesus because he lives. Now, Jesus rose from the dead, he walked around, but then he ascended to the right hand of the Father, so he's not physically present, but he is present through the Spirit. Remember, Jesus, he's breathed on him and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's presence. So that even now, perhaps some of you have that spiritual sense that no, Jesus, he is alive. And if you're a Christian, you've had that sense before where just as, I'm just as certain that Jesus lives because of this spiritual sense I have as much as if I saw him with my own eyes and, and touched him. Because that spiritual sense is a sense that I think God gives us. So let's go back to the six-sided dice. That every human, all times, has a sense of the eternal. That there's something beyond themselves. Ecclesiastes says God has placed eternity in the human heart. So that we know, even, even naturalists, folks that just think there's this, only this universe, they, it bothers them. So now we have multiverses, right? Every movie now is about multiverses. Why? Because we sense that there's something more. There needs to be something more. That's the spiritual sense that God has placed in us. And because of that, we can encounter the living God. That spiritual sense, it's been marred by sin, but Jesus, he has broken the curse of sin so that now we can, with open arms, receive the spirit, receive the new life in him so that you will know. And you just know that you know that you know beyond a doubt that he lives. And that's why even today we can have life in his name. That this is not just a story about something long ago. It's a story about life today. Because let's face it, we're all searching for life. We're all searching for the good life, aren't we? And there's many answers out there. There's many answers that will try to get you to say, no, this is what life is about. So like life is found in being your authentic self or life is found in your accomplishments or life is found in filling it with comforts and pleasures. But the Christian answer is that life is found in the creator of life. And we can know him and we can know his presence and his power because Jesus rose from the dead. And the life he offers is stronger than the grave, stronger than the suffering and the death that we all endure because he rose from that. He didn't defeat, he defeated death by entering into it. He defeated sin by entering into it and defeating it from the inside out. Not just for himself, but so that we all could find life in him. So we don't make ourselves, we don't make our life. No, God gives life and he wants us to become all that he made us to be. And we find our life in him. And so yes, today, maybe you feel stuck. Maybe there's something in your life where you feel like you're out of possibilities. 
that there's no way that this part of my life can change. You feel like the disciples on Good Friday, they thought their hope was dead because they saw their Savior dead. But on Easter, we celebrate that wasn't the end. That wasn't the end of possibilities. That wasn't the end of God at work. But rather, with Christ, there is new life. There's new possibilities, a new power, and a purpose beyond yourself. And that's the good news. And so the good news of Easter is that God is more. He is more. That it isn't over. So wherever you are today with your life, God is offering you more through Christ. So find life in him. Find life in the one who rose from the dead. Jesus lives so that we can live. We can live with his presence and power and purpose beyond our five senses. We can have that bigger life, not just that six-sided die of possibilities, but so much more when God is involved. So I invite you to find that life if you haven't before, and it's as simple as saying, Jesus, yes, I trust in you. I believe that you've risen from the dead and died for my sins, and I want to follow you. Just like Thomas said, my Lord and my God, your eyes have been opened. Or live it out. Maybe you're a Christian, but you've just been living as if there's only six-sided dice possibilities. But what we can do is celebrate. Celebrate that new life today. Celebrate all of the possibilities that are available because Christ rose from the dead. Let's pray. Dear God, we're so grateful that you raised Jesus up from the grave. Even though he died... Lord, and died for our sins, that was not the end. We're so grateful for that, Lord. I pray that, Holy Spirit, presence of God, we ask that you'd move in this place. You'd cause our hearts to to trust in you, to step into all of the resurrection power and joy that we can have in you, and we would celebrate that, Lord. This wouldn't just be a, a, a day to feast on ham, but a day, Lord, to feast in the goodness of your promises. And we thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.